Genesis chapter number 38. Genesis chapter number 38. Um, I was telling that we had a deacons meeting this morning. and I was telling the, the deacons um, that as I studied over the last couple of weeks through Genesis chapter number 38, I could not help but question and ask myself, what in the world is this chapter doing right here in the middle of the narrative story of Joseph. I mean, God, what are you trying to do uh, in placing this story right here uh, in Genesis chapter number uh, 38? Uh, To the point of, I knew that CTO was going to be here this morning and all of that. So Shane and I had to go up and move some of Madison's stuff up to school yesterday evening after that event was over. And I told her, I said, I'm just going to come home and table what God wanted me to do, uh, preach Genesis, and I'm going to preach an evangelistic message. I mean, hey, I can get up here and preach that and don't even have to bat an eye. I mean, I, you know, open up the Bible to John 3.16 and praise God, tell somebody how to get saved. That's what I wanted to do. But as soon as I said those words, I knew that it was an affront to a holy God because he said, Keith, I told you to preach it like I wrote it. And you got to preach those hard chapters just like you preach those ones that are less hard. Um, and the question, I, I, I was studying through this and, and, and I read some commentaries and, and I, I literally read commentaries written by great writers and theologians who wrote about Genesis 37 and then Genesis 39 and skipped Genesis chapter 38. And I said to myself, I said, okay, what, honestly, what can you do? Because God wants you to take His Word and tell the people of God what it means And then tell the people of God what God's saying to us in 2018 through what He wrote so many thousands of years ago. And that's not always an easy thing to do. So I'm in a dilemma now. I can skip it. God didn't give me that option. I could get up here, and I believe this was an honest way of doing it and an honorable way of doing it. I could have got up here and, and said, I do not understand Genesis chapter number 38. Um, I believe it's beyond my abilities at this moment in time. And therefore, we're going to skip it for now and come back to it later sometime in the future when God grows me some more. Um, That would have been, I believe, an honorable thing to do, uh, honest before God. Uh, He didn't give me that option either. He said, if nothing else, I want you to stand up in front of the people of God and read that thing. Um, couple of things I do know. Uh, I do know that one of the things that sets human beings apart from the animals, one of, there's many things. We've got the Spirit of God living in us, the image of God uh, living. Uh, He created us in His image, uh, different from the animals. But one of the things that makes us different is, is that we can learn from the mistakes of others. Uh, Case in point. I can take old Cooper outside and have him on his leash and you can have your dog on a leash. And, uh, 
walk up to an electric fence and you can let your dog put his nose up to that electric fence and he'll go crazy, right? But Cooper ain't going to learn a thing from that until Cooper puts his nose up. But now I'm going to tell you what, when I was in about the fifth grade, me and some of my buddies got the bright idea that we was all going to be brave and grab a hold of electric fence and see how tough we really are. Well, we go out there and we line up and we called him uh, Doodle at the time. His name was Scott. And Doodle was the bravest of all of us. He said he was going to go first. So he reaches out and he grabs that electric fence and he goes to squalling and kicking and screaming and he lets that electric fence go. And you know what? Keith Rose learned something. (laughs) I said, I believe I'll pass now that my turn's come. I didn't touch the electric fence. Well, I believe if there's anything that God wants to show us this morning from Genesis 38, I'm no great theologian as I stand in front of you this morning. But I believe sometimes he just shows us how to get it wrong. So that as humans with the image of God in us, we can say, "Uh uh-oh, I see that. I see the trouble it causes and therefore I'm not going to do it that way. How to get it wrong. I believe that's what Genesis 38 shows. Now you stop and think. I then asked myself, and I'm going to get to it. I'm going to read you some here in a minute. No way I'm going to get finished with Genesis 38 today. Uh, I I realize that. Um, Why did he put it where he did? Because we started Joseph two weeks ago. So you've got the story of this young man living in a culture that's so radically different than what God was trying to teach his people. But yet, this young man lives a holy and a righteous life amidst and among that culture. So we started that story. And then, pow, Genesis chapter number 38. And I believe it, that's exactly what God is doing. God is, he's a creator of language and he's the creator of literature. And, and he gave these writers of the book of Genesis uh, the words to write. So in a sense, uh, what God is doing is shocking us by, here you've got Joseph, he's living right, he's doing good uh, when everything around him is going wrong and then bam, right in the middle of that, you've got Judah. Tamar and all that goes wrong. In a sense, it's to jolt us, I believe, into saying, hey, things can go wrong. And just a few choices that we make can lead to other choices that we make. Uh, I've been listening to a man named, his name's Jordan Peterson. He a, does a podcast. He's a psychologist at University of Toronto in, um, up in Canada. And uh, he asked his students in one of his class, uh, classes that he teaches and, and lectures that he gives, if you would have been in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, would you have been one of the guards that would have went to work in Auschwitz? And almost invariably, all the hands go up. And he says, that is foolish to say that. Because for every Schindler that would hide the Jews... There was 50 or 60,000 of the people who would go to work for a job to feed their family in the Nazi 
concentration camps. Well, how did they get there? One small decision at a time. So Genesis 38 is literally, I I believe, a philosophical treatise on uh, how decisions that we make can affect others and can affect others and, and can affect others, but ultimately shows us that regardless of our decisions, God is still on the throne and He is still in control. And it also shows me that He doesn't need me to complete His plan, even though I'm blessed enough to be included in on that thing. Uh, That's what Genesis 38 shows me. Um, Listen, church, Genesis 38 gets so bad that there's parts of it I'm not even going to read. Just read them for yourself. You see, the Bible is the only history book in the history of the world that does not try to cover up the details. It reports the facts just as uh, they happen. It doesn't try to make people look bad, look good. It just says, hey, here's what happened. And then lays it out there like it uh, really took place. Genesis 38. I'm going to read the first few verses here. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shalah. And he was at Shazib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence this morning in a very difficult passage and portion of the Word of God. Lord, I want to first apologize to you that I tried to skip it or put it off till later because we were going to have guests that I knew about this morning. And God, I just ask that you would accept that apology and forgive me. And Lord, as humbly as I know how, as your servant trying to truthfully preach what thus saith the Lord, God, I pray that you'd give me the very words to say that over the next couple of weeks, Lord, we learned something from this chapter. You didn't put it here for nothing. I know that, though it's hard to understand. So help us, God, to get that meaning. Let it lodge in our hearts. And Father, as your people, then live it out in our lives that we might be salt and light in this world that so desperately needs salt and light today. In Jesus' name, amen. well, one thing I can tell you this morning, y'all need to smile. If you want to know how to do it wrong, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter number 38. It's just really about as simple as that. You want to know how to be a bad parent? Open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 38. You want to know how to be a bad father-in-law, daddy, husband, citizen in the community? Follower of God, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter number 38. In Judah, in this chapter, we can see the culmination of three generations of spiritual failure. 
Isaac had failed to discipline and direct his sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob, in turn, failed to discipline and direct his sons, one of whom was Judah. And Judah was simply repeating and reliving in excess what he had seen in his father, the greed and the self-indulgence. A writer once wrote that what parents allow in leniency in their children will be repeated in excess. Um, Judah raised three sons. Two of them, the Bible said, they were wicked in the sight of God and they uh, died. God literally took their life. Uh, Onan, who was rebellious, self-centered, he refused to follow the ancient tradition of caring for his brother's widow and raising children. I'm not saying that's right or it's wrong. I'm just simply saying it was the ancient tradition. If you had a brother that passed away, you were to take his wife and raise up children with her. Uh, He refused to do that, so God killed him also. Uh, Then Shalah apparently was the baby of the family. Uh, But all three of Judah's children were unholy. They were ungodly uh, to the point that God slew them. Um, I see three character traits in the life of Judah that I believe we can learn from about how to, how to get it wrong uh, this morning. Uh, these three character traits could cause any person, father, citizen, parent, uh, to be a failure. So we can learn from that. Just like old Keith, when, when he saw uh, a Doodle grab that electric fence, I said, hey, you don't need to be doing that. So we can learn from Judah this morning. Judah got it wrong because of his misguided morality. Judah got it wrong because of his misguided morality. He obviously had some twisted views and some distorted ethics uh, similar to the world around him at the time. Uh, How did he have those misguided morality? Well, if you turn back over to Genesis chapter number 37, just you can turn there. We've already went through this. Uh, because fortune or money was more important to Judah than his own family. Genesis chapter number 37, look at verse 26. Here they've got Joseph. They've got him out there in the desert, him and all of his brothers. Judah's right there in the middle. We've talked about all of that. And look what it says in verse number 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Money was more important to Judah than his own family. If that's not misguided morality, I don't know what is. Let's stop and think about this. There was only one thing more important to Judah at that moment than murder. And that was money. It wasn't that he was a good fella and didn't want to hurt Joseph. It's that he saw that there would be profit involved if they did not murder Joseph. And he said, hey, we make some money doing this thing. And you know the story. We talked about that. But what I'm 
trying to say this morning is that in the world that we're living in, we can get this lesson from Judah this morning that there's things in this world more important than money. Now, I'm not just talking about money, dollar, greenbacks. I'm talking about the stuff money can buy, all the trappings, all the material blessings. Listen, we've been so blessed in this nation that we forgot about the things that really matter. I'm not talking about uh, even so much spiritual things this morning, uh, though those are the most important. But the family around us, the, God, the people that God has allowed us to influence and the people that, that God has a, a allowed us to be a part of literally shaping and nurturing and, and raising the, the next generation. And the only hope they've got is if we pass on our faith to them, it's not going to jump up out of the ground and spring up into them. All of history tells us, Roman 1 tells us, that if somebody don't tell them the truth apart from what's revealed to them in, in nature, they're not going to know. That's up to us. And to do that, we've got to understand that in this life, there's things that are more important than gaining wealth, material prosperity, and money. But oftentimes we forget that. I mean, daddies will do everything in their power to make a little more money, a little more money, spend time away from their children, be gone for time after time after time. And hey, they might be living in a $500,000 house. They might be driving the fanciest cars, but it's not teaching their children the things of God. There's things that are more important than money. And Judah had that thing messed up. He was misguided in his morality. And listen, if you're here this morning... And you've been living life as if money's the most important thing. Get that thing straightened out today. Especially this morning to the daddies in this room. Don't love money or the things this world has to offer more than your family. Get it right. So Judah, uh, to him, money was more important than his family. Proverbs chapter number 15, the Bible says, Better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. I can promise you one thing, church, and this is no special revelation. Down to the very clothes on our back, we're not going to take a single thing out of this world with us when we go other than our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things don't matter. We ought to live like they don't matter and love those things that really do matter. Judah had a misguided morality, loved money more than his family, but also pleasure was more important to Judah than purity. Look what the Bible says here in chapter number, or verse number 2 of 38. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. A Canaanite. Had God already not made it very clear that they were not to marry outside of the family of God? But yet he saw this woman. Apparently she must have been beautiful. I don't know what the case may be. He saw she... He looked at her and he took her and he went in unto her. Uh, so pleasure was more important to him than the purity that God had clearly laid out he was to live by. 
Uh, it made no difference to him that she was an unbeliever, an idolater, a pagan of the Canaanite clan. It made no difference that they didn't share the same spiritual values or Christian uh, commitment or commitment to God. All that mattered to Judah was he saw her, he liked her, she was pretty to him apparently and gratified his fleshly appetite. I just about to get that out. Listen, how to get it wrong? Let your children marry people who are not Christians. I've told mine, I'm not saying I did it the right way, but don't you be bringing no boy or girl home to the Rose House and say you go get married and expect your mom and daddy to act like we're happy about it. It ain't happening. We believe in some things here, and we're going to, because we believe in some things here, we're going to stand on some things here. And if they ain't a good Southern Baptist, no, I ain't going to go that far. I'm just kidding. They better not be Methodist. Just kidding again, just kidding again. Y'all going to run me off. Hey, if they don't believe what we do, don't be bringing them home. And me and your mama ain't going to bless that thing if you do. Because there's grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren yet unborn that are dependent on the decisions that we make in the here and now. And who we marry and what we do really does matter. So I told them, listen, I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but I can learn when somebody touches an electric fence there's some things you ought not do. So don't you be bringing home people that don't believe what we do. Don't expect me and your mama to come to your wedding. Don't ask us. We will not be there. We will not bless it. We'll act as if that thing don't exist. Now people say, Keith, you're being harsh. I'm being faithful to the Word of God. And sometimes the Word of God and being faithful is hard. And it causes us to make sacrifice. And let me tell you a little statement that we just don't like to hear in the world in which we're living in today. I mean, this right here will get you crucified. But it's in your word, word of God. Matter of fact, it's the words of Jesus. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but division. You see, when we stand on the word of God, there's going to be some people that don't like it. And they're not going to be our buddies anymore. And it can cause rifts in families because Jesus went further and said, father against mother. Daughter against mother. Uh, son against father, family member against family member when we stand on the word of God. So Judah here, to him, pleasure was more important than purity. He went outside of the faith and apparently Jacob never said a word. He just went right along with that thing. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? The only reason a believer would have something to do as far as in marital relationship with an unbeliever would be out of self-gratification and not spiritual guidance. Judah's desire for pleasure over purity was revealed again in his relationship with Tamar. Explain to you what happened. Read chapter 38, church, for yourself. Um, 
there was three sons involved. You heard me read that part. Older, middle, younger. Well, the ancient Near East custom, you know that, is if one of the older, one of the sons dies, you give the wife. I'm not saying that's right. I'm simply saying that was the ancient Near East custom of the time to the brother to be his wife. So the older brother dies and Tamar becomes the wife of the middle brother and he dies. Then what happens is Judah said, now wait a minute, two of my boys are already dead. Is she bad luck? If one more dies, then the promise gets broken. The line of Jesus is no more. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to give her to the third son. I'm not going to trust God. So he don't do it. As a matter of fact, because he hadn't raised his boys right, the second son wouldn't do his duty. And that's why God killed him. But see, Judah didn't know that. He just knew that he was dead. So then he withheld the third son. Well, lo and behold, time passes and Judah's wife dies. So he's left alone. Well, Tamar sees that he's not going to keep his promise. I'm going to put this as gently as I can about what happened. You read it, I'm telling you what really happens. She finds out that Judah's going to a party over at some sheep shearing and she dresses up like a prostitute. Because she said, I'm going to make this thing right. You want to mess with me, big boy? I'll show you. Well, Judah, in his disobedience and impurity, thinks she's a prostitute and don't recognize her as his daughter. So he did what men do with prostitutes, and she became pregnant. She knew what had took place, by the way. Now, the question we would ask ourselves is who was in the wrong? Well, probably both of them. But you've got to remember how powerless women were in the culture of that day and how much power was wielded by men. I mean, if, if Judah would have simply done what was right, that situation could have been alleviated by giving the third son to Tamar. You've got to understand all that was attached to having children at that time and passing on uh, the father's name to the next generation. Um, I say that to say that Judah's desire for pleasure over purity was revealed in his relationship with Tamar. Judah was not married to her. Why was he going in and having sexual relations with her? He knew better. But he put purity, or, or, or he put the desire for pleasure over uh, purity. Uh, one of the things that's the hardest thing to teach young people, but one of the most th uh, things that are most is most necessary, is to get them to understand that freedom or true freedom can never come before discipline, and 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 responsibility has to come before gratification. And Judah simply threw that order that God had set out the window. You say, what are you talking about discipline coming before freedom? Let me explain something to you. We've got a brilliant pianist in our uh, church. Lord, she's played the piano in this church for so many years and just blessed our hearts so often. Now I get up here and I... 
That's about all I can do. Playing the piano. I have no freedom on that thing. Why? Because I ain't never had the discipline to sit there for hour after hour after hour, week after week after week, month after month after month to train my mind, to train my heart, to train my fingers. And see, once you get to the place where you practice that discipline, you get to the place where freely you can jump up there and you can play that piano like Lori and make that thing sing and your ears just are so pleased. But that does not come before the discipline and it never will. And when we get those two things out of order, it throws everything into chaos. That's what we see in the life of Judah. That's what we're seeing in our culture today with children. We give them everything they want. We want to please them any way we can. And we never tell them how to sit still and be quiet and be good before they get what they want. So what do they learn? Hey, if I just pitch big enough fit, I'll get what I want anytime I want. And we've raised a bunch of nihilists and narcissists because we get the order out of order the way God intended. There can never be freedom until there's first discipline. Uh, Judah was undisciplined. He said, man, I ain't got no wife and I'm in a bad way. So I'm going to go down here and get what I want any way I can. And it caused problems. Judah paid no attention to the rightness or the wrongness of his act. He didn't care. He simply wanted to be gratified and do what he wanted. Number two, and then I'm going to close with this, Judas got it wrong because of his bad behavior. We see that bad behavior in his unkept agreement with Tamar. You see, verse number 11, the Bible says, Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shalom, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Well, the process of time, uh, you know, Judah's wife died. um, And he was comforted. And he went to the party. And it was told Tamar in verse 13, saying, Thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garment off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place. Uh, which is, by the way, to Timnath, for she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. Uh, Our word ought to mean something. And our children are watching that. Uh, And if we can't keep agreements things we said that we're going to do, we can't be trusted. And so Judah's bad behavior led to Tamar taking matters into her own uh, hands. Uh, it's also seen in his crude companions. Verse number 12, the Bible says that in the process of time, his wife passed away and he went up to his sheep shears to Timnath and he and his friend, uh, Hira the Adulamite. Um, who we hang out with really matters, church. You remember watching, and I'm going to close, you remember watching uh, Gunsmoke, ones of you that's old in here? And remember when they had the old cattle round up and the old cowboys was going through town riding the horses? And everybody was getting drunk down at the Long Branch Saloon. 
That's kind of the picture the Bible's painting here. It was the time of the sheep shearing and all the cowboys was going in town to have them a big party. And old Judah got with his buddies and said, hey, we're going to go in there, go down to the sheep shearing and have us a real good time. And what'd that lead to? I say that to say this, who we hang around with matters. The Bible says evil communications corrupt good character. Uh, young people especially, but old people uh, really doesn't matter. Uh, we ought to hang around and be friends with. Now, I'm not saying not be salt and light out there in the world, but I'm talking about the people that we're close to and intimate with and uh, that we do do stuff together with. Uh, all, let me tell you this story. Now, I got good gracious, I got to quit. A man had a parrot, and that parrot had a problem because it cussed all the time. He didn't like it. He was wanting to do something about it. Well, he heard a fella down the road that was a preacher, and he had a parrot that all he said was Bible verses. So he said, hmm, I'm going to do something about that. So he asked him, he called him, he sent his parrot down there uh, with the one that all he said was Bible verses. Well, a couple of weeks later, he goes down there to pick up his parrot, and guess what? Walked in, and they both cussed him out. Uh-huh. Young people, that's usually how it goes. Evil communication corrupts good character. And who we hang around with really matters. I, I want you to, I don't want to uh, leave you with that this morning because uh, we ain't even about, not even halfway into this story yet. Uh, I will say this. Remember, church, that God can take the worst situations and all things work together for good to those that love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. So I don't want to leave you there because we didn't get done. Remember, well, let's just turn over and I'm going to close with this. Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. Now this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judas and his brethren. And Judas had Phares of Tamar, his daughter-in-law. So God can take our worst and turn it into his best. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter where you are this morning. God can take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. If we'll simply let him. When Judah was finally confronted with this by Tamar, the Bible says, and he knew her no more. As a matter of fact, he said, you've been more honorable than I. And he knew her no more. What's that saying to me? He repented. He turned. He said, there must be a better way and I'm going to take it. And that's what God wants all of us to do this morning, to see ourselves on a path and say, if there's a better way, turn and go the path that's the better way. 
It's as simple as that. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, He died for you, He rose from the grave, and He wants to take you from the path you're on down the path He wants you to be on, which is as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and trust in His death, burial, and resurrection. If you're here this morning and you've been making bad decisions, God's got a better way. He wants you to just simply this morning say, God, I've not been doing it right. Forgive me, and I'm going to follow you. It's as really is just as simple as that if we'll simply be obedient to do it. Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name, God, this is one of the hardest chapters uh, to speak of and preach on in the whole entire Word of God. Uh, but Lord, I know you got a purpose for writing. So Father, I pray that you take that purpose. I believe one of them is to show us what not to do. Uh, so God, help us as your people um, that we would do that and simply trust you for the outcome in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we sing, boy, I know this is a tough chapter. Uh, I do know we live in a tough world too. So if God spoke to you this morning, you're not doing it the right way, whatever that way may look like. You come and say, Lord, I've been doing it the wrong way. Help me to change. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what he'll do. All hearts and minds clear? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you for Cross Trail Outfitters. That, uh, DJ and Anthony and their crew come down here and blessed our hearts uh, yesterday. And Lord, we were able to show these boys the love of, uh, of Jesus uh, through ministering to them in the outdoors. And God, we just pray that you'd bless their ministry. Uh, Father, that the next generation could be reached uh, for Christ and what they're trying to do. God, I thank you for the people here at Zion Baptist Church who so attentively this morning listen uh, to a tough chapter in your word. And God, help us that what we heard this morning, what our hearts have experienced, uh, Lord, uh, would ultimately work in such a way as to bring you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.